Welcome again to Noblesville First United Methodist Church. I'm Matt Hanselman. I'm one of the pastors here at Noblesville First. As Jerry said, I typically lead our Thursday night service, which is more of an interactive service. We like to have discussion and things, so I have a lot of questions this morning. <laughs> if you want to shout out an answer, this is me giving you permission to do so. Let's try it. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah there you go. It's a good start. Well, we're continuing our series, Failure is Not Fatal. And we're going to be looking at Elijah, as, as you heard. He was a favorite among the prophets of the Old Testament, and one of the few people to have said, who has been said to have never died. We hear later in the story, a chariot comes and picks him up, takes him up to heaven. But here in our story today, we hear Elijah at the end of his rope a bit. So first, a question. What do you do? What do you do when you are at the end of your wits? Do you hit something? <laughs> do you pray? You yell? <laughs> you scream? Sure. I, huh? Cry. Absolutely. I'm an eater. When I'm at my wits end, I eat. In an, in an unhealthy way, if that comes to any surprise to any of you. <laughs> I think we all have uh, positive and negative reactions to being at our wit's end. Uh, some of us have a happy place. Some of us find refuge in friends or the Bible or what have you. But Elijah has been on a bit of a roller coaster that leads up to the story that we just heard in 1 Kings 19. So I want to do a quick recap because we find Elijah coming into the story about two chapters before as he's telling King Ahab that there's a drought coming and that it will not rain again until Elijah says so. So he tells Ahab, and then God sends him into hiding. He goes to a brook, and it's, God says, stay by this brook and drink its water, and the ravens tend to him. They bring him meat and bread, and he is sustained by a brook. When the brook dries up because of the drought, God says, okay, go into this town, and you're going to find a widow, and that widow will care for you. And so he goes, and he goes to the widow and says, hey, God told me that you get to take care of me now. And the widow says, I mean, okay, but I was literally about to bake my last piece of bread before I die because I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and that's it. And, that, and then we're out because of the drought. And Elijah says, don't worry. God's got you covered. We won't run out of food. And he doesn't. The, the little bit of flour never runs out. The little bottle of oil never runs out. And they sustain themselves on that. The Bible doesn't tell us how long the brook and the widow each individually happened, but we know that by the time that story comes to an end, that it says the drought has been happening for about three years. Wow. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering for you, what is your patience level? What's your patience level for waiting for God to give you the next instruction? Because three years is a long time. And it's not that Elijah should have felt abandoned by God, right? Because the jar of flour still wasn't running out. The bottle of oil still wasn't running out. God was obviously in it with Elijah, and Elijah knew that, 
but still he's sitting and just saying, okay, flatbread forever, <laughs> and waiting for God to come back. And he does, and says, okay, it's time. It's time to go back to Ahab. It's time to go back and tell him that I'm going to bring rain, but first, I want you to tell him that the drought is his fault. Tell Ahab that it is because of his actions following false gods that caused me to bring this drought. Because Ahab had abandoned the Lord God for other false gods. We get their names. Their names are Baal and Asherah. And those came because of who he married. Many of you have probably heard the name Jezebel. That is Ahab's wife, and she served Baal and Asherah. So God tells Elijah to go back. He tells Ahab all of this and says, but God's going to bring rain. So what I want you to do is gather all of Israel and meet me at the Mount Carmel. Bring all the prophets of Baal and Asherah with you, and we're going to go over some things. And he talks to Israel and says, how long will you hobble back and forth between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve God. If Baal is God, follow Baal. And it says the Israelites gave no answer. So he says, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to have a contest, all right? I want you to get a couple bulls, get some wood, and we're going to build altars to our God. The prophets of Baal, do your thing, build your wood, slaughter your bull, put it on there, but don't light it on fire. And I'm going to do the same thing, and then we're both going to pray and whichever God rains fire from heaven, that's the real one. And he looks at Israel and says, is that good? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's good. That's, if you can make fire rain from heaven, you're probably a God. So that works for us. So the prophets of Baal do their thing, and they build their altar. They put their bull up, and they start dancing. They're dancing around the altar. They're screaming and shouting, doing everything they can to get their God to come. And it says this. In 1 Kings 18, it says, Around noon, Elijah started making fun of them. Shout louder. Certainly he's a god. Perhaps he's lost in thought or wandering or traveling somewhere. Or maybe he's asleep and just must wake up. And the prophets of Baal continue to no avail. So Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. And he sets up his altar puts 12 stones around it for the 12 tribes of Israel, and then he goes one step further in the, in the midst of a drought. He says, I want you to fill four jars of water and pour it on the altar, and then I want you to do it again, and then I want you to do it a third time, and, he sa and then he lifts up a prayer to God, and God sends fire from heaven, and it says it consumed the wood, it consumed the bull, it consumed all the water. Everything was consumed in God's fire. And the people said, ooh, <laughs> ah. And everybody lived happily ever after. <laughs> at least if we stopped at chapter 18, <laughs> that's where we are coming up to where Jerry read this morning. Because we see that God sent rain and things were happening, but then Ahab goes to Jezebel. And our passage today started by saying, Ahab went to Jezebel and told her all Elijah had done. 
Elijah? Not God? Not what Elijah had done with God's help? Ahab missed it entirely. But it brings up an interesting question for us, which is, when do we attribute success to God? When do you say, no, that was God that did this? It wasn't me, or it wasn't you, or it wasn't someone. And this, this is not a like, threatening question. I don't have an answer for this. There's not a good, easy answer for this. And it's something that I feel like I know I struggle with. Um, growing up, I was a musician. I, I am a musician. Growing up, I played music. And I did it in churches, and I liked doing it. And one of my sisters always used to get on me for saying that I praised God for my musical talent. She would say, but, but you're the one who practiced. You're the one who put the work in. You're the one who is sitting at a piano for hours a day. How can you lift that up to God? And then my reply was typically because it's because of God that I can do it. I don't have breath in my lungs without God. I don't have fingers without God. So he is the impetus for that. And as I said, there's not a good answer for when we attribute success to God other than that God is the creator of all things. He is the beginning and the end. Well, Jezebel, naturally, when she hears that Elijah slaughtered all of her prophets, I guess I forgot that part, takes all the prophets and kills them all <laughs> afterwards. She is furious and sends him a a threatening letter. And it causes Elijah to be scared, and then he flees. It tells us he flees to Beersheba. Hands up for who knows where that is. Cool, me neither. I can put my hand. Oh! <laughs> Seems like cheating to me. I had to look it up on a map to figure out where that is, because he not only went to Beersheba, he left his assistant there and then kept going another day's journey into the desert. But this is where we need to stop for a second. Because one of the things that I love to do when I'm studying a passage like this is I will go and read as many people's opinions as possible on what they say the passage is saying. And a lot of people read this passage and say, oh, Elijah was scared of Jezebel and wanted to save his life, so he fled. They say he didn't trust that God would protect him from Jezebel. I don't see it that way. And the Bible doesn't actually tell us, right? It doesn't say, and Elijah fled because of this or that, or this is how he was feeling. We don't get that information, but we do get what happened. And I think we can infer a lot more when we really break down what Elijah did. Because if he was afraid of Jezebel, all he needed to do was flee to Judah. Judah was about 50 miles south of Jezreel, which is where they were. And the king of Judah was Jehoshaphat. And he was a good man. He was a godly king and would have surely protected Elijah from Jezebel. But he doesn't. He goes 50 miles south into Judah, 40 miles more south into Beersheba, and then another day's journey into the desert. And it says, he found a solitary broom bush and 
fell asleep. Before falling asleep, he gives us an inkling into his reason for running. When he cries out to God and he says, it's more than enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. And I always, I read this of like literally just screaming (laughs) at God. It is more than enough. And he falls asleep. So to recap, Elijah has both announced the beginning and the end of a three-year drought. He's won a challenge proving that the Lord is the one true God and killed 900 false prophets. He's done all of this in the view of the king and all of the Israelites. And while you would think that this would convince anyone, even the biggest skeptic, what he receives is death threats. So you can imagine Elijah's frustration with what's happening. I can just see him walking a day into the desert and just saying, I tried, God. I did. I did what you asked. I performed signs for the people, but I'm no better than anybody that came before me. I failed. I didn't convince the king. I didn't help Israel turn back to you. I did all of this work and was zealous for you. And for what? Sorry. Death threats? It's too much. It's more than enough. And he falls asleep. That to me is not a man running from Jezebel. It's a man running from his responsibility. He said, I tried. I tried to do what you said, and nobody listened. And it's just too much. I gotta get away. And after a while, a messenger comes from God and taps on him and says, Hey, you should eat something. <laughs> I can just imagine this Elijah just being like, ah, bread. <laughs> Out of nowhere. So he does. He eats and he drinks, and then he falls back asleep again. The messenger comes again and says, hey, 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 you should eat something. You got a big journey coming. And so he eats again. Question for you is, when was the last time you truly rested? Granted, Elijah's situation is not the best time for this kind of rest, running away from his responsibilities as far away as possible. We're 90 miles in a day's journey away, and he falls asleep under a bush. But you'll notice that God doesn't say, Elijah, get up and get back there. He says, here, here's some food. Rest up. Big stuff's coming. When was the last time you truly rested? Maybe a counter question. When was the last time you truly needed to rest? Were you today years old the last time you truly needed to rest? Is that now? tells us that the food the messenger brought sustained Elijah for a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb, God's mountain. It's where Deuteronomy says Moses received the Ten Commandments. And he comes to a cave in the mountain and spends the night, and it says the word of the Lord came to him and asked a question. 
said, why are you here, Elijah? Leave it to God to ask the poignant questions. <laughs> it's not, why did you run from Jezebel? It's not, why did you want to die back there under that bush? Why are you here? And Elijah unloads. I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars. They have murdered your prophets with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they want to kill me too. Elijah's had it. He's spent. So he, he runs. And much like us, when he's exasperated, he might exaggerate a little bit. God tells him later that there are actually 7,000 Israelites still in Jezreel who never bowed to Baal. And the I'm the only one left seems just a little bit melodramatic. <laughs> but we do that when we're spent, when we're exhausted. But nonetheless, those are the things that have brought Elijah to where he is, far, far away from the people he tried to convince, far away from anyone he knows, far away from the place that he thinks he's failed. And God replies, come out to the mountain. I'm going to pass by. So Elijah goes to the cleft of the mountain, and it tells us a strong wind that crushed rocks swept through the mountain, and God was not in the wind. And then an earthquake came that shook the very foundation of the earth, but God was not in the earthquake. And a fire came that blew through and roared with flames, and God was not in the fire. And then there was a voice. The Common English Bible says, a voice thin and quiet. And this is one of those places where I feel like our English doesn't do it justice. The, the Hebrew here is so much more descriptive of what's happening, because we get these same words in the book of Job, chapter 4, and it, and it tells it this way. It says, there was silence and then a voice. And in Kings, we, we do those backwards. It says, their fire came and God wasn't in the fire. And then a voice, silence. And God was in the silence. That quietness is where God resided waiting for Elijah. And it says Elijah covered his face and he came out to meet God. And God asks the same question. Why are you here, Elijah? And Elijah gives him the same answer. And so then God says, okay, then I want you to go over here and anoint this person king. And then I want you to travel to this other place and anoint another man king of another area. And then I want you to find Elisha not Elijah, Elisha, and anoint him prophet over Israel in your stead, your successor. All of that as if to say, Elijah, it was never my plan for you to do it by yourself. It was never my idea that you would do all the work. 
you missed the point when you decided to put my kingdom on your shoulders. There has always been help in the plan. And that's the same message that God has for you this morning. It was never his intention for you to do all the work. There is always help in the plan. I have an inkling that most of us in this room have something in our lives that we have decided has to rest on our shoulders and our shoulders alone. I don't know what it is. For a long time, because of my upbringing and the way that I lived, it was, I am in charge of providing for my family, period. Regardless of what that does to me, regardless of what it does to my family. And so I worked constantly until God finally <laughs> knocked me upside the head and said, you know, it was never my plan for you to do it all yourself. So this morning, I invite you to think about your own life. And I see two different things that could be true, and maybe they're both true for you this morning. The first being, where is it in your life where it is more than enough, Lord? It's more than enough when you are done. Or maybe you are Elisha for someone, needing to step in and take the reins of somebody who is burning out, who is at the end of their rope. And I think we are all a little bit of both of these. And I am confident in the Lord in saying to you that if everybody in this room took these two questions and seriously considered them, that this community would become closer to God's kingdom that God would draw himself closer to Hamilton County and that we could continue the work of God in powerful ways. Thanks be to God.